One of my favorite scriptures, especially in regards to evangelism, how we speak with others, we can look at various scriptures. And, uh, Colossians 4 is a wonderful one that teaches us to uh, be very cautious in how we speak. But one that stands out to me is that we are not to be passive as Christians. We are to be on the offensive when it comes to proclaiming and teaching our faith and how we do it. And I love coming over the scriptures and finding ba- ways to better approach this subject of evangelism, sharing my faith, and defending my faith. And we're going to look at that this morning. This morning we're going to focus mostly on what's called apologetics. Uh, apologetics comes from the word apologia in Greek, meaning to give a defense. I know you might hear that which sounds like we're saying, oh, I'm sorry for being a Christian. That's not what apologetics means. It means that we're giving a defense. This is what we believe and what we stand for. And this passage right here in 2 Corinthians 10 is, one of, uh, is an excellent one. And it's going to give us a, a basis and an outline on how we are to uh, be on the offensive and be able to share the truth with others. Do you like being sold something? It annoys me. It, it annoys me. Uh, the last few weeks, I've been going around, I need a new car. And, my, and, and I got one, but my old one, there's so many things wrong with it, I don't have time to tell you right now. There's so many things wrong with that car. And every time I got in, I, don't, I didn't know if it'd crank up again or if I'm going to get to where I'm going. And so I feel very relieved on it. However, I have this kind of intimidation about going to a car lot and getting a new car. Because every time I go, especially when I was in Jacksonville, the car salesmen were overbearing. They pushed everything. Um, couldn't get by them with anything. And it, it, was, it's so, uh, uh, it was so stressful to me. And now I come here to Thomasville, and each lot I went to, the salesmen were a lot nicer here. I'll put it that way. Not as pushy, and I appreciate that here in, in Thomasville. But as far as being sold something, I don't like it. I don't like it when people seem to go overboard and trying to make something look all nice and shiny and everything. And you see this as well. When you start looking around at different churches and the ones that are popping up, these non-denominational churches, they have these peculiar titles to them. It's like they had somebody in the church who does marketing who's decided we're going to call our church Cross Point or whatever. I don't know if there's a Cross Point in town. I'm hoping there's not. So you can come up with different names like that. And it seemed to take one name from the community, whether it's a river, and then pull a word out of the Bible like grace or faith, and they put them together. And, I, and it just it's kind of annoys me, though, in the sense of I feel like they're trying to sell me something that shouldn't be sold in that way, if that, if that makes sense. So as Christians, here we are proclaiming the gospel, and I don't like cliches. As Personally, as a Christian, I want to stay away from them. I just want to give the gospel. I want to give the truth. And I want to take from the, what the Bible can tell me about defending my faith and share it from sharing it with others. So I hope over the next few weeks, we'll be able to do that a lot further and in greater detail. So we'll look at this scripture here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I like this And before we get to chapter 10. But Paul says this. He's been talking about his hope of eternal life. The hope that we have as Christians, and he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. When I think about evangelism, I look at it as an act of love. I know God's judgment. 
I know the fear that is involved with that. And when I think about those who I love, my friends, my neighbors, my co-workers, I want to share the truth with them. But many times, depending on who they are, it can be very difficult. Where do I start? Where do I go? And I hope that through these studies we'll be able to do that a little bit further. But when I think about evangelism and our connection with our past lessons on love, this, it makes sense. Out of love is going to come the fact that we want others to see the love of God and to obey the gospel and to come to Christ. And for this reason, we persuade others. So I want to emphasize that as well. You see this throughout the book of Acts. I've had some brethren say, I shouldn't have to persuade anybody when it comes to the faith. Well, the Bible says, and Paul does, he persuades others. How can we do that? How can we act like the Apostle Paul and persuade others? But we see this is necessary. Christians persuade others to obey Christ. We can't get away from that. Now, our, our kind of our dilemma and a problem this morning. Should Christians always be on the defensive or should we be more on the offensive? I feel like in today's society, we're kind of pushed to the defense. Oh, don't speak about your faith in public. Don't talk about God. Don't talk about Jesus. That belongs in the church building and in your home and nowhere else is what I feel like the world is saying. Um, The Bible tells us we need to be on the offensive and that we have every right to be. We have the ability to do that. We have the faith, the basis, and the standard to proclaim the truth. And what other people are saying, as we've looked at the source of love, is always coming from either self or society. Well, I think, in my opinion, or society says this, don't you believe that? Aren't you going to go along with us? No, I'm not. I'm going to stand by the truth. So here's the truth. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to proclaim the gospel. So let's take a look here. I'm going to go on and read the Scripture first this time, and then I'm going to make some observations from the text. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and let's read verses 3 through 6. Verses 3 through 6. Paul says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's the title of the message this morning. To destroy strongholds. What does that mean? We'll talk about that. Verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So a lot in that little passage right there. Here's a few observations that I've taken from it. Maybe you take some others. God has given us the weapons, the ability to be able to defend our faith. It is up to us to be able to read our Bible, to study it, to be able to proclaim it to others. We need to have boldness in that. A part of the Christian mission is to destroy strongholds. We're to tear them down. Everything that raises itself up against God, every fortress, every keep, every castle of man. And notice this, destroying strongholds means we are coming upon them. We're not waiting for them to come to us. What are those strongholds? Now someone might think here, oh, I can be really aggressive or or not be gentle. No, the scriptures tell us again to be gentle, to be kind. 
What are we destroying? We're destroying arguments. Everything, every lofty opinion of man that has been presented and opposed against God and against the knowledge of God. I'm going to talk about that a little, further, a little bit further in the moment. Everything that is against the knowledge of God, knowing who He is, how do we answer that? Is there a simpler way? Do I have to go to Apologetics Press website and memorize every article and all the details there and scientific theories and be able to engage with someone who's an unbeliever? Do I have to study Buddhism or modern-day Judaism for me to be able to confront other people? What do I need to do to be able to destroy these strongholds? What are those weapons that I have? So after destroying the strongholds, the mission is not to kill whoever's left over. It is to take captive to the obedience of Christ. We want to take captive every thought. And I hope that's true with us as a Christian. I hope that the gospel takes captive of you. That in all your thoughts and the things that you do throughout the day and everything and the way that you act, it comes back to God and to Jesus Christ. That's what we want. If that's not true about you, then we need to pray. We need to study more. I hope to talk to you more about that. We see this. God's judgment comes upon every disobedience. Just as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, every action is going to be judged by Christ. Everyone's going to be judged before Jesus. Do we have his blood? Do we have his appeasement and atonement to help us in that situation? So those are my observations there. Maybe you have some others from the text. Now what we're going to do here is look a little bit further on how we do this. There's some questions that come to my mind when I was reading through this. What are these weapons that God has given to Christians? I know one of them. I know the sword of the Spirit, God's Word right here. I know the shield of faith. I know the helmet of salvation. I know that my feet are shod with the gospel. I can read in Ephesians chapter 6. I can look in Romans chapter 13 and see that I have an armor of light. And a lot of times when we think about the armor of God, we always go to Romans 6, especially when we're teaching our children vacation Bible school. But the idea actually comes from the Old Testament. The armor that is going to be given to us who are faithful. And as Romans 13 describes, then it's an armor of light. Very beautiful description. Look at B. How do Christians destroy strongholds, arguments, opinions against the knowledge of God? What do we do? I'm going to hopefully present to you this morning that what we do is we present the real God. As I've expressed before, the God that the atheists don't believe in, I don't believe in either. I believe in the God of the Bible. I believe in the God of Jesus Christ. And the problem many times, almost every time, in fact, my experience is every time, is that the unbeliever has a skewed view of God. What about when I'm, I'm appealing or speaking to someone who's of another religion, maybe in Islam? It begins with their view of God and how they view God. Even in Thomasville, as we look around in, in this city, some of the churches, it comes down to their view of God. Why do they do the things that they do? Why do they emphasize the Holy Spirit and speak of the Holy Spirit as a force or as an energy rather than He, the Holy Spirit, who is God? So we want to present the real God. And then we're going to see this. As Paul pointed here that we defend uh, anything that raises itself against God to take people captive to Christ, which brings us to the second thing we do. So when we're getting a discussion with someone, oftentimes before we can get to presenting the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they've got to have a right view 
of who God is. So we've got that in B. C here. How do Christians take captive thoughts to obey Christ? We proclaim the whole gospel. We proclaim the gospel as what it is. It's the good news. It's the good message. I think many Christians today have lost that. The good news to them is no longer good. It's just news. I don't want to go to hell, and I don't want anybody else to go to hell, so I'm telling everybody. So come on to church. And there's some things missing there. Where's the good news? What did Christ accomplish? Most of us here are able to tell someone else why Jesus died on the cross and what He accomplished by dying on the cross, but can we tell someone why He rose from the dead? Think about that. I'll give you a moment right now. If someone were to ask you, why did Jesus rise from the dead, what would you say? You know, the most common answer I get is, just to demonstrate the power of God. That's not what the Scriptures say. Romans 4 tells us why. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us why. And I encourage you, go and read those chapters and find that answer. And we're going to get to that a little bit further on. We take captive by proclaiming the gospel, understanding the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the implications of who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is God come in the flesh. He is without sin. He is able to die a death He did not deserve, to overcome it and conquer it by rising from the dead, to give us eternal life, to give us the hope of the day of resurrection, that we too will also resurrect as Christ resurrected. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14. We've got to be able to proclaim that. That's what the hope of the gospel is. Romans chapter 8, verses 22 and 23 tells us that. It is the redemption of the body that is the hope of the Christian. So how does destroying arguments connect with sharing the good message? Sometimes we have to do that before we can actually get someone to open up their mind and their life to obeying Jesus Christ and seeing who He is. If you're proclaiming the gospel to someone who is an unbeliever, an atheist, or even if they are a Muslim. A Muslim does not believe that Jesus... Um, was crucified, even crucified on the cross. And oftentimes it starts with their view of who God is. So let's look at that a little bit further. An approach to evangelism. Let's first look at this very briefly. Why do people not believe? What did Jesus say? What does the Bible say? Romans 1 says this. John 3 says this. For a lot of people it's that they don't want their sins exposed. And ultimately, when I study with certain individuals and they will not become a Christian, even though they've seen the gospel and have every reason to believe, they don't want their sins to expose. It's their sins that keep them. And then secondly, what we see also in Romans chapter 1 of why many people don't believe and why they go off into sin, they have, an, again, an erring view of God. And if you can think of another, let me know. I'd like to know it. Paul's approach to evangelism starts with introducing God and then the gospel. We see that in 2 Corinthians we're about to see it again. So how do Christians destroy the arguments and everything raised against the knowledge of God? Take a look with me here. We're going to go to Acts chapter 17. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 17 and we're going to look at verses 22 to 31. As Peyton read for us this morning, Paul stood there in the Areopagus and he preached to these philosophers, Stoic philosophers and Epicurean philosophers. And this is what he, his, his observations, what he made known to them. He corrected their view about God. And if you open and you look in, in Acts chapter 17, you'll see this. Paul started saying, God who made everything does not dwell in a temple. He doesn't need a house. And the Epicureans and the Stoics are hearing this and they're thinking, 
okay, we agree with that. That makes sense. And if you were to talk to an atheist today and you were to say, okay, God is not this, they'll start listening and they will follow along even with that. And you can begin to just use good sense about what we know about the God who created all things. The God who created everything cannot dwell in a temple, actually. He does not need things that are made by men's hands. Men do not need to feed him or give anything that he needs. God doesn't need anything. God made man to seek God. And so Paul says God is not far from any one of us. In other words, we have no excuse to say, oh, I didn't know God. On the day of judgment, I was ignorant. I didn't know who you were. I hadn't heard the gospel. The Bible tells us very plainly that God is not far from any one of us and that we are able to to seek him out. So Paul says this, God made man to seek him. He's not far from any one of us for that very reason. And then he says this, because humanity is God's offspring, God is not an image. He's not an idol of gold or silver or stone. And some of those things to us as Christians seem very simple. I get that. I understand that. Don't, doesn't everybody understand that? A lot of people don't. They don't understand this view of God. When I hear some people talk about God, they talk about like he's their, um, like he's their uncle that, that they don't like, or the neighbor down the street whose opinion they don't agree with, or that he's some man that sits in the sky with a long beard and lightning bolts in his hand. Like, that is their view of, of God. And I've heard some people actually describe God in that way, and then they'll say, see, I don't believe in that. Of course not. I don't either. And it's the right view of God that Paul presented to these philosophers. And look at what they believed. Today, when you face skeptics and people who don't believe and are not coming to church, some of the beliefs you, you get today, they sound like the Epicureans and they sound like the Stoics. Here's the Epicurean. Epicurean was a skeptic. He said, because of all the suffering in the world, and God, if he is all-powerful and then he's all-loving, then he should be able to stop all the suffering. For some reason, they didn't think about free will and that with free will is going to come consequences for your actions. They don't, they don't think that way. So the Epicureans say, if there is a God, he's either not as loving as we think he should be, and he's not as powerful as we think he should be, so we're not really going to worship him. And they believe when you died, you just died. There's no soul. They're very much agnostic. And you know what agnostic means? It means if there is a God, I don't know who he is. Or even if I can defend his existence. So the Epicureans, very much like that. And that's how Paul spoke to them. He corrected their view about God. Then you got the Stoics. Stoics would be like, um, I guess, hippies today. <laughs> Liberal theologians. Um, you ever seen the um, Star Wars movies? Always talking about the Force. But the Stoics believe that when you died, your soul went and joined the life force. That was their beliefs, their, their idea around that. They believed all of creation was um had god in it so they would be kind of i don't know if they were actually tree huggers but it sounds like they would be that kind of expression might go along with it so when you look at the epicureans and the stoics and who's paul is talking to i think we can relate to these kind of views that pop up today we can see the way that, that, that they spoke and what was needed to say uh, someone needs to say to them ahead of time uh, and we need to correct the view of god so Christians today, as we approach skeptics and unbelievers, what we're learning this morning is that we need to correct the view of God.
That's what we see throughout the Bible, throughout the book of Acts, throughout Romans. Real application. How do I approach someone in my family if they're an atheist, if they're an agnostic? Well, I want to talk to them about what they believe about God. Tell me about the God you don't believe in. I want to know what your your position is and your understanding of who he is. Do you believe, um, do you you have the full picture of who God is in the Bible? How should I address an atheist and agnostic? We see that. We got the example here in the Apostle Paul. What do I need to know? And oftentimes many Christians will say, um, I'm not able to go teach someone else. I don't know enough. Let me tell you this, brethren, right now. If you've been baptized into Christ, what you knew when you were baptized is enough to share with somebody else. You might not know all the rest of the answers. But you can say, listen, Jesus died, and I believe it. He was buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And I believe it, and I believe what is preached, that I need to believe, and I need to confess my faith, and I need to repent of my sins, and I need to be baptized These are things that the Bible teaches me, and I need to live faithfully. That basic understanding, the basic understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus says, if you don't believe in who I am, you will die in your sins. John 8 and verse 24. That basic understanding we have, we can give to others so that they may become Christians. And I might feel overwhelmed. The atheist might throw around science or anything else. I can go straight to the view of God. How do you view God? What's the right view of God? And you know how Paul ended his discussion? Paul ended his discussion with the gospel. As he's talking to Areopagus, he goes on, he says, God is not this, God is not this, God is not this, God is not this, and I will tell you who the true God is, the one who created everything. He's the God who's going to judge all of humanity, and he's given us assurance by sending a man by which he will judge humanity. And he gave us assurance by raising him from the dead. You notice how Paul led that discussion to the gospel. I think we'd be foolish to go a different way. That example is throughout Scripture. As Paul spoke about the unknown God, I think Americans, as Christians today, we can speak about the God of our independence and of the Constitution in this country. The God that is unknown. The one who has given us unalienable rights. That Creator. There's no other God in history that matches that God except the God of the Bible, the Creator, who's created us in His image, who's created us with such great value, who's loved us so much. We can open up discussions in that way. Another way, when when you're in conversation with somebody and you hear them talking about rights and talking about politics, you can think in this way. If you hear them talking about how things are broken in their life, my marriage is not going right, I'm having struggles, you can say, yes, I've had the same struggles. But I know where the answer is. The answer is in Christ. Oh, when I went through that, when I endured this illness, it was Jesus and my faith that helped me. And we're able to open up doors like that, be able to share the truth. Approaching unbelievers, Christians need again, as I emphasized this morning, to present a right view of God. And then we want to do this. As I mentioned earlier, Acts 17, 30-31, Paul concludes this message. The times of ignorance God overlooked, 
In other words, all these various views and these strange views about God, he's overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to change their mind. That is to change their heart. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world and righteousness by a man of whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And if you keep reading, you go down to verse 32, people heard the resurrection and they heard about the message and they heard about the hope of the final day of resurrection of eternal life. It says in verse 32. And the reaction was this. You had three groups of people and how they responded to Paul's message that what day. You had some that didn't believe. You had some that wanted to hear more and you had some that did believe. And I would love that every time I, I shared the gospel, the truth with somebody, if every three people, if one person said, I want to hear more, one believed, and one didn't, what a blessing that would be. I believe as Christians, we don't need to hold back on those. And the churches of Christ has shown that, if, that uh, in our Bible studies, that one out of four Bible studies with individuals, people will obey the gospel. We have no fear. We have no reason to deny the power of the gospel of Christ to save people. It is just as powerful today as it was in the first century. It deserves for us, for it to be on our tongues and for us to be proclaiming that to everyone. Paul's approach to the right view of God led to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus rising from the dead. This morning, if you're not a Christian, I hope that you'll consider the scriptures we looked at. When Peter preached in Acts chapter 2, they asked him, what, need, what do we need to do? And he said, repent and be baptized. And he said, because your baptism, you have the forgiveness of sins. And that's the same gospel we preach here. If you believe and you confess your faith and you repent of your sins, you can be baptized and wash away your sins. Acts 22, uh, verse 16 says the same thing. Colossians 2, 13 says the same thing. God no, no longer overlooks ignorance, especially among his own people. He calls all people to repent, to come to him. There's a day of judgment that's coming. You don't know that you will live till this evening. If you'll even get home today, that you will be alive tomorrow, make your life right today. You need to obey the gospel. You need encouragement. You need prayers. We encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.